All right, Frontier Church, um, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And thanks for listening to Worship Local. Of course, this is Frontier Church's podcast where we invite you into the long-winded, ever-deepening, and sometimes winding conversation of our local church where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Des Moines. In today's podcast, you're going to hear two more reflections on the Psalms, one from Shailen Donofro and one from Aaron Jameson. A quick side note on these two reflections, I did not initially plan on posting these two reflections together in the same podcast. I didn't, but after listening to both of them, man, it it just became really clear to me and it'll become clear to you as you listen to them that these two reflections work really well together in tandem as a package deal, as a reminder of how God calls his people to not live in fear. Now, if you don't know who these two people are, um, Shaylin is a member at Frontier Church, and she has been um, a meaningful member at Frontier Church since, like, day one of Frontier Church. Like, like day one, like back when we launched in Woolies day one. She's also married to Joseph Donofro, who's our worship leader. And if you don't know Aaron, Aaron's also a member at Frontier Church, and you've probably seen him serve in, in various different capacities. Maybe you've seen Aaron serve on the liturgy team on Sunday mornings, or maybe you've seen Aaron serve on the worship team on Sunday mornings. But regardless, I, I, I think it's always fun to learn from people who you don't usually learn from in teaching contexts at Frontier Church. And plus... These reflections on the Psalms are really timely, like really timely. Like it really doesn't matter to me what you think about the pandemic. No matter what you think about the pandemic, God's people always need to be reminded in all times not to fear because that's what the Bible teaches. So everybody should benefit from these reflections. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope this podcast helps you worship local. Hi, Frontier Church. This is Shaylin Donafro, wife to Joseph Donafro, and mother to three kids whom I get to stay home with and get to do all the mom things with. This is my first time recording for a podcast, and I am excited to get to reflect a bit on what God has been doing on my heart lately. I'm going to be sharing with you from Psalm 23. I know that this is a psalm many of us are pretty familiar with or may even have memorized, and I was kind of hesitant to reflect on this with you guys because you've probably heard it preached and dissected so many times, but when Cole asked me to do this podcast, this is the passage that I've been reading and meditating on for the past few weeks, so it just seemed right to reflect on this one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think this is such a well-known and praised passage because of the imagery described. When we read this, at least when I do, I get a beautiful picture in my head of our relationship with the Lord. We get a strong sense of who God is as our shepherd and what that means for us. It says that He as our shepherd leads us, restores us, guides us. He prepares a table before us. He comforts us, anoints us. There are so many promises for us, his sheep, in these verses, and these promises help us understand better who God is. And in the times we're in right now, it is so critical that we know who God is and that we keep his promises at the forefront of our mind. With endless information at our fingertips and the constant roller coaster of events in the world, It is so easy to get sucked into wanting to know and understand everything happening. I am very much an advocate for being informed on important topics and researching things in a healthy way, but ultimately the feeling of wanting to know as much as possible and constantly feeding our minds with news and information is feeding a desire for control. When we aren't in the knowing, our lack of control in a given situation is obvious. And that can be very scary. When we are aware of what is happening or why it's happening, then we feel like our future is more secure. I think this security comes from feeling like we won't be caught off guard as much and we'll be better able to handle whatever's coming our way. But I think we can all agree that after the year we've all had, there's no telling what's going to come next. Every month has provided us with one meme after another of all the crazy things no one saw coming. From the coronavirus to killer hornets and the land hurricane we experienced in Iowa, and now the election that seems like the longest that some of us, not all of us, but some of us have witnessed. It's evident that we are not in control. And as scary as that can be, knowing our lack of control is an opportunity to depend on the one who is in control. It's not important that we always know what he's doing, but that we know who he is. And the deeper that we know him, the deeper we can trust him and not fall into fear. Verse 4 of this psalm says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. And here's the promise, for you are with me. I think Romans 8 gives us a good understanding of what this promise means, that God is with us. Verses 14 through 18 say, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption, as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And jumping down to verses 31 through 39, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring charges against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, but rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or trouble, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Just as it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We were regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because God is with us, we can have courage and confidence. Verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. I think that this verse is pretty clear in its message that God takes care of us and provides our needs abundantly. But if we dive even deeper than the surface meaning, this picture of him preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies and anointing our head with oil are so rich. I have personally been overwhelmed this year with feeling like evil is all around. There are so many battles raging and it can make me feel so small and at times even hopeless. But as Christians, as God's children led by His Spirit, we are to be the most hopeful in seemingly hopeless situations. There is probably a deeper theological explanation for these words, but when I read them and paint that picture in my mind, this picture of God preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies, it declares a boldness and confidence in the Lord that comes from having true peace in any circumstance. It reminds me of these words by C.S. Lewis. If we are going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. We don't need to be frightened sheep because we have a good shepherd. He is with us, and because of that, we can rest and not worry about tomorrow. The final verse of this passage says that surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are the words of a child who trusts and rests in the security of their father. I hope that in reflecting on some of these beautiful verses that you are able to find a deeper sense of comfort and confidence in the midst of so much chaos and confusion. I would love to pray that over you now. God, I thank you for being a good shepherd. Thank you for being with us in the valley of the shadow of death that is guaranteed in this world and that we can have hope because of who you are and what you promise us. We can stand confidently on your word and be faithful in every season, whatever may come. Help us to lean closer and closer into you, that we would hear your voice above all others. And I ask that you would help us to be hopeful people that would lead others to knowing the truth of the gospel, that they would see us and want to have this hope and joy in the midst of pain and suffering. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hi, this is Aaron Jameson. I'm giving a devotional on Psalm 34. And uh, the reason I picked Psalm 34 is it means a lot to me. I'll get to that in a minute. But um, I wanted to uh, give a title to this uh, devotional, I suppose. And I came up with two. So one is Praise in the Midst of Fear. And another one would be Sing in the Face of Adversity. Will I be safe? Help, I'm afraid. Uh, Maybe you've said this. Fear is a common human emotion for children as well as adults. It seems like 2020 has had a surprise blessing in forcing us all to face our fears. And this has shown itself to be emotionally exhausting and spiritually taxing. Just the other night, uh, I could feel the fear in my three-year-old's face palpably as I put her to sleep. She pleaded, Daddy, will you, will you pray? She was feeling a, a temperature and had heard all the talk of the virus and was afraid of getting sick or worse. Of course I will, Pumpkin, I said. I reassured her that God would heal her and that she had nothing to fear. Or did she? Okay, well, what, do, what do we do when our fears seem more legitimate than mere toddler fears? The uh, help I'm facing a stage four cancer diagnosis fear. Or, I'm out of a job and my money runs out next week, fear. Or, I think I'm eternally damned to hell, fear. Or, my marriage is over if she finds this out, fear. Are we really expected to praise God during those times too? This is what Psalm 34 is about. And I love this psalm because it has met me in deep trials. It has hit me square in the face when I was crying for help. And I think it was a favorite of the apostles Peter and John too, but more on that in in a moment. So let's just take a look at Psalm 34. Uh, Fight fear with fear. Psalm 34 teaches us to fight fear with fear. Yeah, that's right. Doesn't, Doesn't make sense, does it? How can fear help us with fear? Well, before you turn out this psalm or as another example of the Bible not speaking to you or being too hard to understand, consider what David has just gone through. So the superscription or heading says, he wrote this psalm after considering his miraculous deliverance from Abimelech. Now, this story takes place in 1 Samuel 21 where David was fleeing from Saul and decides to take refuge in Gath, a Philistine city. Uh, Side note, in 1 Samuel, the king there is named Achish, but the psalm names him Abimelech, which means my father's king. And this term, uh, Abimelech, is elsewhere, is sort of an alias for king's names, uh, like Genesis 20, verse 2, 21, 32, 26, verse 1. But it could also have been just a Philistine royal or dynastic title for Achish himself as well. So there's no error in the text here. Okay, moving on. But no sooner has he found refuge there in Gath when he's identified by the king's servants as a great warlord, thus making David into a threat to Gath's security. David's earthly refuge turned him in, exposed him, and became a threat. So David's, David feigns madness and escapes. Phew. How would you start a song in your journal after a day like that? 
Uh, would you say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Well, the psalm begins with praise and calls others to praise God as well. Similar to Mary's song in Luke 1, where she sings of her soul magnifying the Lord. David can't praise God alone. He calls for the congregation to join in. He says, verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Magnify Yahweh with me. Some may be saying, who are listening to this, well, easy for you to say, you know, life's going swimmingly for you, Aaron. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. But then in verse four, it turns to the life experience, the situation without particulars, as so many of the Psalms, that David found himself in and the rescue he experienced. David doesn't attribute this to his own clever, quick-thinking wit, but to God's salvation, God's deliverance. If taken out of context, some of these verses sound like a totalizing promise of health and wealth and prosperity given enough faith that we conjure up. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. But read carefully. The verse before that says, The Lord delivered him from all his fears. So life wasn't always easy for David. He experienced real fears, like the fear of death, multiple times. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Or maybe you're saying, okay, Aaron, I get that, but isn't this psalm saying bad experiences will always have a happy ending? It says the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles, like you just said. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and then delivers them. So what about that? My troubles don't seem to be coming to an end with happy endings. Where's my angelic deliverance that this psalm promises? Well, that's exactly where the rest of the psalm meets us. So verses 8 through 22 Push praise into the secret parts of our soul, into the depths of wisdom, into the fear of Yahweh, into the fear of the Lord. This is where we fight fear with fear. Taste, see, feel, fear, seek. These powerful, persuasive verbs are calling the embittered, fragile, fearful soul. You see, your biggest problem and mine is not that our circumstances, no matter how dire, uh, are our biggest problems. Our, Our greatest problem is unbelief in the Lord. Unbelief is the root of our sin, our sorrow, and ultimately all the pain around us, even pain we didn't cause. So that's where David starts. He starts with the heart, with faith. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear Yahweh, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want or lack and hunger, but those who seek Yahweh lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. 
And I think we compartmentalize faith to the mind, you know, like a set of facts and beliefs that we assent to. But here, faith is full-bodied. Remember, taste him, see him, take refuge in him, fear him, seek him. This is where the blessed, the blessed, happy life is. Why should we fear the Lord? Because those who fear him have everything they need. They have no lack. Even the king of the forest isn't powerful enough to secure his appetite all the time. But you who seek the Lord will most certainly find him. If you have God, do you really need anything else? Really? Okay, now let me stop right there to remind us that we can't have God if he didn't first have us, right? Faith faith is a free gift from a loving father at the expense of his son's obedience on our behalf. Let me say that again. Faith is a free gift from a loving father at the expense of of his son's obedience on our behalf. We are purchased by the death of Jesus Christ and secured by his resurrection. We have no ground to stand on besides this. If you have God, it's because he has you in his grip eternally. Okay, now back to verse 11 and following. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of Yahweh. Note that like faith, fear of Yahweh isn't merely something internal. It's defined as a way of life, keeping your tongue from evil, keeping your lips from speaking deceit, turning away from evil and turning toward the good, seeking shalom or peace, running after it. Shalom isn't a consciousness. It's where God is. Running after the good is running after God. No one is good except God alone. Luke 18, verse 19. So let's look at that. Verse 11. I will teach you the fear of Yahweh. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of Yahweh are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of Yahweh is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, Yahweh hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Yahweh is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Yeah, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but Yahweh delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, though. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Yahweh redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Okay, now you're thinking, yes, but how? How does the fear of Yahweh fight our fears? Well, in short, let's look again at what the fear of Yahweh truly is. It is being more afraid of how sin causes a rift in one's relationship with God than being afraid of God's wrath towards sinners. The first is filial fear. The second is servile fear. What I mean is the first is the fear of God as as a father in relationship. The second is a fear of God as a hard master. The first, what we're after, is how a son properly fears his father. 
The second is how a cowering servant fears his master and his master's blows. Um, maybe you've read Jonathan Edwards a little bit. He has this great quote in uh, the Religious Affections uh, treatise that he wrote that gets right at the heart of this point. In fact, in uh, it's in section 9 that's titled, Gracious Affections Soften the Heart. He says, I'll spare you some of the long quote here, but he says, The banishing of servile fear by a holy assurance is attended with a proportionable increase of a reverential fear. The diminishing of the fear of God's displeasure in future punishment is attended with a proportionable increase of fear of his displeasure itself, a diminished fear of hell with an increase of the fear of sin. Okay, so he's getting at this idea that we're we're, we're not fearing God as a hard master as much as we're fearing God as a father. And we're, we're fearing the displeasure itself, the displeasure of sin itself. He goes on to say, the less apt this person is to be afraid of natural evil, having his heart fixed, trusting in God, and so not afraid of evil tidings, the more apt is he to be alarmed with the appearance of moral evil or the evil of sin. As he has more holy boldness, so he has less of self-confidence or a forward-assuming boldness and more modesty. And he is more sure than others of deliverance from hell, so he has a greater sense of its desert or his deserving of it. He is less apt than others to be shaken in faith, but more apt to be moved with solemn warnings, with God's frowns, and with the calamities of others. He has the firmest comfort, but the softest heart, richer than others, but poorest of all in spirit. He is the tallest and strongest saint, but the least and tenderest child among them. The Apostle Paul writes to the Romans that they did not receive the spirit of adopt uh, sorry the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry abba father Romans 8:15 this really kills the well-worn mantra we have nothing to fear but fear itself no we must fear displeasing god the king of kings more than any earthly fear around us Our Lord's model to us is, His delight shall be in the fear of Yahweh, says Isaiah about the Christ in chapter 11, verse 3. This doesn't erase our fears as much as it diminishes them so small that they don't rule our lives and control our thoughts and actions. Clearly, verse 19 again in Psalm 34, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Okay, remember that I said I thought... Peter considered Psalm 34 a favorite? Well, the reason I think that is, in his first letter, he quotes a good portion of it at length in chapter 3. He pleads for a communal sense of unity, sympathy, brotherly love, and humility. And he grounds this with the fact that we are called to bless in order that we may obtain a blessing. Sounds like Christian hedonism, right? And his proof text is Psalm 34, 12 to 16. Oh, that we would fear the Lord together, Frontier Church. That we would even delight in fearing Yahweh as a community. Yahweh redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him 
will be condemned. Run to him this Advent season. His heart runs after you, his redeemed, to provide them refuge in himself. In proper fear, let us never take for granted his mercy and grace. Amen.